Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. I hope not, but maybe someone watching this program is suicidal, or you're, you know someone who's suicidal. What do you do to help someone who's suicidal? Well, today we're going to read a dramatic story from the New Testament where the Apostle Paul stops a suicide. So if you would, find a Bible, open with me in the New Testament to the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 16 and read how Paul stops a suicide. Before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do want to pray that everyone listening to this program who is thinking of hurting themselves, that you, Lord Jesus, would stop their hand and that you would do what you did long ago through the Apostle Paul, turn people from depression to joy, from hopelessness to hopefulness, Lord, we would pray that you would teach us now, by the Holy Spirit, would you have each of us to learn. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I read the story, let's set it up. The year is about 49 AD. The Apostle Paul is in Philippi, a town in what is now Greece, and he has just cast a demon out of a little slave girl. She was able to tell fortunes by the demon within her, but the demon is cast out by the Apostle Paul, and now the owners of the girl can't get money out of her because she can't tell fortunes. They're angry. They take Paul and Silas to the magistrates and say, these men are troublemakers. So publicly, Paul and Silas are whipped in front of this crowd. Now here's the story. We're in Acts chapter 16, verse 23. When they, the magistrates, had struck them, Paul and uh, Silas, with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And having received such a command, he, the jailer, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Stocks were these wooden things that would stretch your legs, put a, a, a foot through each hole. It was very painful to be in stocks. So here's the first lesson today. Being a Christian, can land you in jail. I remember hearing a Russian pastor tell us how he and his family spent 18 years in Siberia because of his Christian faith. In America, there are some Christians who are in jail right now because they've taken a, a stand against abortion. Back in the 1940s, there was a Lutheran pastor by the name of Martin Niemöller. He took a stand against Hitler and was thrown in jail. One of his friends was upset that Pastor Niemöller took a stand against Hitler, went to his jail cell and says, Pastor Niemöller, why are you here? And Niemöller looked at his friend, friend, why aren't you here? And the first lesson we get from Acts 16 today is if you take a stand for Christ, prepared to be persecuted. Look at verse 25. Acts 16, 25. 
But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. This is rather an incredible verse. Paul and Silas have been falsely accused, publicly beaten, thrown in jail. They're in pain in their stocks. And what are they doing? They're singing and, and singing hymns and praising the Lord. So here's the next lesson. When you're down, pray and sing hymns. For me, it's good therapy when I'm depressed just to start singing, Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous sea, or, O oh, love that wilt not let me go, or, be still my soul, the Lord is on thy side. And just some good Christian worship, and if you don't like to sing, then put in a Christian CD and listen to worship. I have a friend who, the way he gets through his depressions, he lays in bed and just listens to Christian worship music. But when you're down, do what the apostles do. You pray and you sing hymns. And there's another incredible thing the apostles do in this verse. Look at what it says, verse 25. And the prisoners were listening to them. In other words, get this lesson. The beaten up apostles will not shut up. <laughs> Let me repeat that. The beat up apostles will not shut up. I mean, uh, here's what Paul the apostle could have done. Sat in jail and said, Oh God, woe is me. You told me, God, to preach the gospel. So I did. And what happened? I got publicly beaten. Now I'm sitting in jail in pain. Well, thank you, God. I'm just going to sit here, be quiet, and pout till you get me out. That's not what he did. What did the apostle Paul do? Well, I'm in prison. But Jesus said a bird can't fall to the ground apart from our father. So I must be in prison for a reason. Wonder what that could be. Oh, we have all kinds of murderers and thieves in here. Gentlemen, have you heard of Jesus? <laughs> and Paul the apostle starts preaching the gospel in prison. He, he can't shut up. And do you know that many of Paul's letters, the epistles, were written from a jail cell? You know, maybe you watch, you're watching this program and you feel that you're stuck in a jail. Maybe you're in a bad marriage or you're in an awful job or you don't like your neighborhood or your family or maybe you feel like you're stuck in jail. You know what the Apostle Paul would say? You're not stuck in jail. You are put in jail. You're right exactly where you're, you are supposed to be so God can use you in that situation. Let's look at verse 26. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were unfashioned. Here's the next, next lesson. God is sovereign. That means God rules. Chains don't rule. Locked doors don't rule. A guard at the prison uh, front doesn't rule. If God wants to get his apostles out of jail, he's going to get them out of jail. So, so hear this, everybody. God is sovereign, and no matter what jail you feel you're stuck in, God can get you out. Now, you might have to wait a while, like Paul had to, but God will get you out of that jail. Our job while we're waiting is to sing hymns and praise the Lord. Look at verse... 27. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Let me explain this. If you were a Roman soldier, if your, if your prisoner escaped, you got the sentence that your prisoner was supposed to get. It was a high dishonor for a Roman guard to lose his prisoner, so he's going to kill himself rather than go through that dishonor. Until Paul does this. 
Look at verse 28. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Now, you know what Paul could have done? Paul could have thought, well, he's the stinker that threw me in this jail. He, he rigged me up in this, these stocks. He's the guy that put me in pain. Go ahead, kill yourself. But instead, here's what I learned from Paul. Love your enemies. Let me try to explain this. Love your enemies does not mean that you like your enemies. Love your enemies does not mean that you forget the bad things they did to you. And I don't think love your enemies means that you'll ever feel rosy, happy things for them. What does it mean? I think love your enemies means you want their good. You want their best. You pray for their salvation. There are people in life that I have that I probably will never like, but I still pray for their salvation. I don't want them to go to hell. And here is this, so this soldier who's about to step into a Christless eternity, and Paul says, stop, I've got to tell you something first. I had a, a friend call me this week who's struggling with bitterness toward his ex-wife. And he said, you know, when I think about her, I get so angry. And I, you know, I thought I forgave her or whatever he said. I said, you know, if you in prayer have said, God, I forgive my ex-wife, your feelings might not change. But, you know, all we're asked to do, well, let me, I, qu I quoted C.S. Lewis to him. Here's C.S. Lewis. Here we go. I do not mean that anyone can decide this moment that he will never feel resentment anymore. That is not how things happen. I mean that every time it, resentment, bops up its head, day after day, year after year, all our lives long, we must hit it on the head. That is what is meant in the Bible by loving your enemy, wishing his good. Not feeling fond for him, not saying he is nice when he is not. <laughs> Verse 29. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, the guard fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Here's the next lesson. Fear of God precedes conversion. Here the jailer sees the earthquake, the shackles pop off, and he falls on his knees and he's shaking. He's got the fear of God all of a sudden. And, you know, I know some people say, well, we shouldn't scare people about God. We shouldn't talk to them about hell and try to scare them into conversion. And I, my thought is, why not? If there is a God, if there is a heaven and hell, shouldn't we talk to people about that? I think it's smart to fear God. I, I didn't know this, but Voltaire, famous French atheist philosopher from the 1700s, spent his life ridiculing Christianity. Well, if you read Will Durant and his history of civilization, here's the story of how Voltaire died. Now, just know that Will Durant, the historian, is not a believer, so he, he's not going to like this, but he says, in his 70s, Voltaire moved confusedly, according to Durant, to the Catholic Church. Voltaire built near his mansion a little chapel. He asked Rome to send him some sacred relics for his chapel. The Pope sent, Pope sent him a hair cloth of St. Francis of Assisi. On the altar, Voltaire placed a life-size gilded metal statue of Christ. There, from 1760 onward, Voltaire attended Mass every Sunday. On Easter in 1768, 
He went to communion. He sent his servants to church regularly. He paid to have their children taught the catechism. On March 31, 1769, he summoned a notary and signed before several witnesses an affirmation that he wished to die in the Catholic religion, and he did. Voltaire! <laughs> Voltaire, the atheist, gets religion before he dies because he had a fear of God. Napoleon Bonaparte was an agnostic. But if you read Durant, here's how Napoleon died. Listen to this. Napoleon once said to a friend, When we are dead, my dear Gurgand, we are altogether dead. Six weeks before his death in 1821, Napoleon said to Bertrand, I am very glad that I, ha I have no religion. I find this a great consolation as I have no imaginary terror and no fear of the future. But as Napoleon neared death, he started to change his mind. He said, quote, Only a madman declares that he, will not, that he will die without a confession of faith. There is so much that one does not know, that one cannot explain. So Napoleon found a local priest and arranged to have Mass celebrated every Sunday. Napoleon fell back with ease and comfort into his childhood faith, and he amused his friends, forecasting how he would be received in heaven. <laughs> so you've got two people known for their agnosticism, Voltaire and Napoleon, who die because they got the fear of God before they die. That's not dumb. That's smart. Now, don't wait till you're on death's doorstep because you can die instantly and then you have no chance. Come to Christ now. But I don't think it's, it's bad to come to Christ out of fear of God. I think that's a good thing. There's a story of an atheist that was preaching in, all over England. He'd fill lecture halls and he'd preach against the Christian faith. The story goes, that I think it was Scotland one night, he was preaching in this large uh, gathering, and at the end of his lecture, any questions? An old scrub woman put up her hand. Sir, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an unlearned woman, you're so much smarter than I am, but can I ask you a question? I have believed in Jesus my whole life. I find much comfort in my Christian faith. If I die and discover there's no God, no heaven, what really would I have lost by believing in Jesus in this life? And the atheist said, well, I suppose, madam, you'd lose nothing. Well, okay, permit me one second question. If, sir, you die, you discover there is a God, there is a Jesus, there is a heaven and a hell, what, sir, will you stand to lose? And according to the story, the crowd jumped and to their feet, applauded the woman, and the atheist sat down. <laughs> I think it's smart to bet your eternal soul in the direction of God. Let us turn to the next verse. Verse 30. And after he brought the apostles out, the jailer said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now that's a smart question. People in ancient times used to ask that question, especially in the Middle Ages. People asked that question. During the Reformation, Martin Luther and the Reformers, they asked that question. What must I do to be saved? Do people ask that question much anymore? <laughs> you know what the problem is in America? We have this marshmallow view of God that he's a pushover. He wouldn't hurt a fly. You don't need to be saved. He just loves everybody. And no, that's not. Listen to God. Listen to the picture of God from Revelation 20. 
Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books. That is God. He's awesome. He's powerful. I mean, this has happened about eight times in my whole life, but I'll wake up in the middle of the night, and it'll just be ringing into my head. There really is an eternal hell. So you know, don't waste your life. Tell people about Jesus. I hope you are asking the important question, what must I do to be saved? That's a great question. Here's the answer. Look at verse 31. And they, the apostles, said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, everybody look just at verse 31 and answer this question, true or false. All you need to be saved is to believe in Jesus. Is that true or false? The answer is true. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Earlier in the book of Acts, Acts 15, the apostles had to decide, do you have to be circumcised to be saved? And they agreed, no, all you have to do to be saved is to believe in Jesus. So the answer is true. It's all you need. You don't add anything. When Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, he meant it. All you need for salvation is Jesus. Not circumcision, not this or that, just faith in Christ. Now you could say, but pastor, so I can believe in Jesus, cheat on my wife, cheat on my taxes, rob my neighbor, never give a dime to church, never go to church, but as long as I say I believe in Jesus, I'll be saved. Well, I didn't say believe about Jesus. It doesn't say believe about Jesus and you'll be saved. It says believe in Jesus and you will be saved. And that is all you need. Now, if you've seen this show, you've heard this story, but this will make the point. I was a senior at Bethel College. Our old professor told us he sent a plane ticket to his dad in California. Dad, come out and visit me in, Cal in Minneapolis. And the father sent the ticket back. Son, I'm you know, an older man here now, and uh, I don't believe in those airplanes, but thank you. Thank the, the, dad sent, the son sent it back. Dad, here's the ticket. It's safer to drive a car, uh, to, to fly, than it is to drive a car. Uh, come out and visit me. And he said for the first time in his life, his old father got up the, the, the plank, got into the plane, landed safely in Minneapolis, went back, landed safely in Los Angeles, and he said, the, the professor made this point, before that day my father believed all about airplanes. He knew they were out there and they went up and came down, but he never believed in one. <laughs> I'm not getting on one of those things. But when dad walked into the airplane and sat down, he trusted his life into the hands of the airplane. That's what it means to be saved. A lot of people believe about Jesus. They know he died on the cross. That doesn't say, the devil knows Jesus rose from the dead. That doesn't save anybody. But do you believe not about Jesus, do you believe in him? Do you get on the plane, do you say, Lord Jesus, I trust my life up in your hands? That's what the Bible means by believing in. It means you trust. Not that you're perfect, but you're trusting. And if you're trusting Christ, you're not going to live in impenitent sin the rest of your life. So there's the, the question and the answer to the question. It's by faith in Christ that we're saved. Now look at verse 20, uh, 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him altogether with those who were in his house. And he, the jailer, took them, the apostles, that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. Now how can you tell 
that the jailer doesn't believe just about Jesus, but in Jesus by this verse, because his behavior has changed. He didn't care about their wounds before. Now he's washing their wounds. And, and hear this. Your behavior will never save you. We're saved by grace alone. But your behavior will show whether you have been saved by grace alone. Let me repeat that. You're not saved by your works or your goodness. You'll never be saved by what you do. It's only by what Christ has done. But the evidence that you've been saved by grace alone, by what Christ has done, it does change your life. And Chrysostom, writing way back in 400 A.D., said a beautiful thing about this verse. He says, quote, The jailer washed and was washed. He washed them from their stripes, and he himself was washed from his sins through baptism. And by the way, this verse and others like it is why Catholics, Lutherans, Methodists, Presbyterians baptize children, because it says his whole house got baptized. Look at verse 34. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Here's the final lesson for today. Jesus can take you from suicide to joy in the same night. The jailer is ready to kill himself. An hour or so later, he's rejoicing with his family. I will tell you that when I was a new pastor many years ago, my first church was in Florida, sweet older lady by the name of June calls me up, Pastor Tom, would you come to my house? I'm standing over the toilet with a handful of sleeping pills, and I want to kill myself. I drove over to her house. I sat with her. We talked. I think we got her some Christian counseling, and we prayed. And then she really, uh, I, she started coming with me to the nursing home where I would preach, and she'd play the piano and lead the singing. And it was just neat to see June grow in her faith and serve the Lord. Well, I, I moved up here to a different church in Minneapolis. Years later, I'm vacationing in Florida, and I thought, let's call June if she's alive. And I found her phone number. I called her. Divine timing. Tom, I'm suicidal right now. Can you come to my house? I went back to her house. She was battling depression again. Again, we prayed, etc., and and she was better. But some people battle depression all their lives. If you're suicidal, I just encourage you, talk to some Christian about it, get counseling if you need it, and then sing hymns and praise the Lord. The way the apostles got through horribly depressing times is they sang hymns. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of Scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, can we talk a little bit more about suicide? Mm -hmm. The Bible says thou shalt not kill. If you kill yourself, commit suicide, you're sinning, right? Yes. Is that... All right, that's a good question. Is, how do you get to heaven? It, if, you, if you kill yourself, can you go to heaven? And Jackie, there are two answers to that, and I'll tell you which one I think is right. When I was 13 years old, sitting in confirmation class in my Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, some student asked the pastor, if you kill yourself, can you go to heaven? That pastor said no, and the verse he quoted was from 1 John, we know that no murderer has eternal life dwelling in him. And he said, if you murder yourself, you won't go to heaven. But suicide caused by depression well, is an illness. Here, here's the other answer, and this is the one I lean to. Does God judge me by my final act on earth? I think all of us, Jackie, will die having committed sins we didn't have time to ask forgiveness for. I mean, we don't know half of our sins, but will you die and will I die without 
having confessed every single sin we've ever done? I'm sure we will. What covers us, what gets us saved is the blood of Christ, his death on the cross. So I remember a, a pastor I very much respect had to do a funeral service for a, a dear Christian woman who killed herself. And he, he preached to the congregation, we believe she is in heaven. Her, you know, her whole life was toward Christ. She did something evil at the end. But in God, we trust that Jesus died for all sins, even the sin of suicide. So I lean toward that one, Jackie. Let me say, though, if you're, if you're thinking of killing yourself and you're not doing it because you're scared, scared of hell, keep being scared of hell and don't kill yourself. Get some help. What do Christians, what should Christians do if someone says they're suicidal or thinking of suicide? You take it very seriously. You don't try to joke it off, oh, you're not really that depressed. Listen, you take it very seriously. I'm going to call and get you an appointment at the psychiatrist. Well, I'm not going to go. Well, then I'm going to call the police. I mean, you take it very seriously. And it gets a little tricky, Jackie, because some people do threaten suicide, you know, a lot. So you do kind of start to wonder. But if this is the first time, especially, someone has said something like this, you get them help. Okay, Tom, if you have somebody that's listening today, can you recommend um, what type of a counselor, a person struggling mm -hmm. with depression? or? Yeah, I would, I would go to the white, yellow pages, and, and I'd look under counseling, but I'd look under uh, look for something that says something like Christian Counseling Clinic. There's a bunch of Christian counselors, and I would encourage people to look on the yellow pages for Christian counselors. Okay, in your sermon today, you said that being a Christian can land you in jail, but aren't Christians supposed to obey the government? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are. If you read Romans 13, Paul says we are to su submit to the emperor. The Roman emperor back then was Nero, and he was a stinker. I mean, he's the one who started the persecution of the church. Paul still says we submit to the government. And Jackie, that's true 98% of the time. If, the, if, if, the, if it says you drive 65, you drive 65. If it says don't steal, you don't steal. 98% of what the government tells us to do, we're supposed to submit to. Now and then, you have to say what the apostles said in Acts chapter 4. They said, shut up about Jesus. The government said that, and they said, we must obey God rather than man. So sometimes you have to violate God, uh, the man's law to keep God's law. So there are times we have to violate the law. Okay, you know, it just kind of popped into my head, I remember, and I guess, how do we as Christians love somebody who, like, commits suicide and at the same time takes somebody else with them? I remember a cousin who d took her own life, but before she did, she killed her child. Oh, no, no. Um, how does a Christian deal with something like that? To yeah. The only way I know is you just got to pray it out. Pray it out. Lord, I forgive my cousin for the horrible things she did. And you just, and, and just got to pray it out, talk it out with the Christian if you need to. But that, that's the kind of thing you need the Holy Spirit to do because we can't forgive people on our own. You pray for the Holy Spirit. Well, we're all out of time. We want to thank you for your support and your prayers that keep this ministry going. Check out our website at the end of the program, and we'll be with you next time. Have a great week. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.